McNulty stunning for Emilio to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts from Bosby. Bosby are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. fans and welcome to your forecast episode 120. Well I'm back and after the poor episodes of Andy Mitch War hosting for three weeks you've got my voice to listen to for good or worse back on the podcast. Joining on the podcast today is Andy Mitch Moore. How are you Andy? Absolutely not. Bloody joining you on the podcast to cheeky shit. <laughs> Hello. How are you doing you? Nice to have you back. We were sick of being nice about you. Um, no idea if you listened in, but every week we were getting gradually less mean because we were getting gradually more worried. Um, in hindsight, based on that first comment, we didn't need to bother. But uh, yeah, nice to have you back. Thanks, buddy. It's great to be back actually on the show. And he's giving me some polite hand gestures to those comments. I like it, but welcome back. <laughs> also here with me is Freddie Webb. How are you, Freddie? Not so bad, Hugh. It's nice to have you on the pod again, even though the episodes were popping off more than your ears were for the past three weeks. So <laughs> we managed to hold the ship while you weren't there. I think there was a fairly high calibre of guests, actually. Ryan Stilwell and Proudy. We, um, Freddie and I were discussing whether or not we really needed to encourage you to come back to good health or not, Hugh. But I think general consensus would be yes, urgently. But um, we quite liked having some alternate company. It was right, wasn't it, Fred? Yeah, yeah, it was, it, it was nice to have some different voices, but yeah, um, but yeah, it was nice to have the band back together, though. <laughs> Definitely, mate, and uh, you're welcome for me organising those guests. Right, let's move on to the show. First of all, we're going to... <laughs> Go on, Andy. I was going to say, hypothetically, if we were a band, Freddie said get the band get back together, what instruments would you two play? Drums. I mean, I play the guitar very badly, so maybe I should stick with that. Fred? I have no musical talent whatsoever. So. See, I think, Freddie, with that beard, Drums. you'd be like, do you remember that um, band that won Eurovision, Lordy, from like Finland? They were like heavy metal, hard rock. I could see you in Lordy, and then Hugh's more like, uh, you expect him to come out and do something quite badass, but then he sort of sings a beautiful ballad or something, that, like in a really high-pitched voice. You just don't see it coming. Andy's just sort of like the Ed Sheeran of uh, music, I can see it right now. Mate, I've got a ginger beard. I get it. There's no need. <laughs> Ipswich traitor. Anyway, let's get on. <laughs> First of all, we're going to review the game against AFC Wimbledon. Following on from that, we said, are any of those players actually good enough now to make the starting lineup on Saturday? Then we're going to speak to Liam 
from the MK1 podcast to give us the preview and let you guys know everything you need to know about the game against MK Dons. Then we're going to do our score predictions and a few other things I haven't wrote down. So let's get going, guys. That means walk back to the microphone, Andy. Let's get going. AFC Wimbledon. This is a game where we made a load of changes. Danny Cowley sort of freshened the team up. Emergency goalkeeper in goal. The result probably wasn't the thing I was most worried about. The thing I really wanted to see was improved performances from those fringe players. What's your take, first of all, Freddie, on how the players settled into that? And did anyone even impress you in that game? Uh, it was very hit and miss. Uh, I didn't watch the game live because it was an EFL trophy game. So I kept with my <laughs> my, my very stuck-up way of avoiding them and then watching the highlights afterwards. But like, but yeah, it seemed very hit and miss. Obviously, when you switch 11 players, there's obviously not going to be the same cohesion. It was a different system as well. Different keeper. The emergency, the emergency loan keeper came, only knew the players for about four hours before the game, which is never ideal. But there were some players that stood out. I thought to be obviously it's hard to ignore Ellis Harrison's hat trick. You you can't ignore it, in my opinion. He was there, right place, right time, mostly. Um, some of the other players that that stood out to me. I like Louis Thompson, but in the second half, he he seemed to control the midfield a tiny bit better. And Marlon Romeo, uh, right wing back, also had a very good game where he seemed to go up and down. And that definitely gives Pompey another option to go for if they want to change the formation. But still, it, 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 defensively, it wasn't as solid as I thought it would be that game. Yeah, no, defensively, it wasn't that solid. Let's go into some of the goals. Nobody mark- is marking Callum Bailly, where his name is. He gets in the back post, he's in the corner of the 18-yard box. Absolutely nobody around him gets a goal you think okay they're settling in new keeper new center back partnerships and then again Minoga sort of beaten for the ball on the second on the second goal at the near post and it, it just seemed to be it was going to be quite a bit of a thrashing really we didn't seem to be able to defend at the back downing for me I, when I watched the game back it, it looked pretty awful and I try, I've tried to sort of swing my opinion to the maybe I can be a bit accepting about him after I gave him two out of ten on the on the review and you know he played a little bit better maybe under Cowley when he came in I'm here to say it out right now boys I don't want to see Paul Downing play at centre-back in the legal season what do you reckon? I think the season's a very long time but based on that performance I would say I wouldn't want to see it imminently for me that first goal there are there are multiple issues there and you know Pompey had eight players in the box. Um, I watched the game on iFollow. I didn't go up to, to the game in person, but I watched the game on iFollow and paused it sort of as the ball was coming in. And yeah, having eight players in the box, but with no one within three or four yards of the Wimbledon player taking one touch and then banging it past the keeper is, you know, something's gone badly wrong there. And for me, I think it was Downing probably should have got a toe on it or should have got a touch on it as it went past him. But it looked like the entire defensive unit just got pulled to the near post and kind of almost followed where they expected the ball to go rather than all knowing what their individual roles were. It was almost like, you know, like kids football where everyone just follows where the ball's going and follows it around like a herd of bees. They all just got drawn towards the ball and it wasn't a complicated move from Wimbledon. You know, it wasn't really ingenious finding space. It was a very, very basic goal to concede. But yeah, I think Defensively throughout the game, it looked fairly, um, well, it looked fairly makeshift, which is essentially what it was in that it was a slightly different formation and it was containing players that I wouldn't expect to necessarily be there with the exception of potentially Ogilvy at times. 
players you wouldn't expect to be there in the league in the next few weeks in a back three. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think it was a catastrophic performance by any stretch. It looked like it was going to get a bit messy at times. But at the same time, there were positives. And, I mean, we'll get on to the second half in a moment where it went a little bit mental for the last 20 minutes. But there were definitely positives to take from it. As Freddie said, Romeo looked really dangerous from well, from the second minute, because we didn't have the ball for the first minute and a half before conceding. But from the second minute, he looked really dangerous making runs down the right-hand side. Um, I think it was Andy Moon or Guy Whittingham made a comment about how potentially playing uh, Rico playing alongside Romeo could improve Rico's game because he was having a split second less because he was playing with, you know, a championship-level player. And I think we have to look at that sort of relationship potentially down down the right is something that could flourish later in the season because they're both quite exciting attacking players. But yeah, I, I won't say everything that I've got to say about the game in one go. But yeah, there were positives, but it was clearly a second string lineup. Pompey stayed in the game for the vast majority of the game and it only really changed for me when the subs took place and you could see that Wimbledon were bringing on more sort of senior players, you know, players like Luke McCormick from the bench, whereas the Pompey sub was Harry Jewett-White, who's what, 17, 18? coming on for Anakad, uh, Louis Thompson. So the subs kind of changed the game and you could see the difference in level after that happened. So I'm not overly worried because Wimbledon just basically kind of brought on a couple of big guns and, and Pompey couldn't compete over the last the last few minutes when it all went a little bit Pete Tong. Yeah, yeah, I like the reference. But uh, Rico was quite unlucky then, wasn't he, as well? He had that chance where he just sort of hit it hard and it, and it smacked Cannon off the bar as well. And if that had gone in, maybe... It looks a little bit of a different game, and we probably not. We still had that defensive collapse at the end, but still, I thought he was quite unlucky then to add to his to add to his tally and, and kind of get that confidence as well. As Andy said, the result isn't important, Andy. I, I agree with you in this game. It was just about getting players in, trying to understand for Danny Cowley who can be used in this squad, who's the most useful players, what partnerships work, what partnerships don't. But let's just get on to Harrison quickly because the first goal he just shot from distance, put some power on it. Probably the keeper should have made the save, let's be honest. But he doesn't make the save. You've got to shoot to score to score goals. And I know you guys discussed the Wigan game already, but within that game, you had a game where both Marquis and Harness didn't have an attempted shot. Um, and then you actually have a look at Ronan Curtis leading the team with four. The only other player to get one was Joe Morrell, uh, who took two, apparently. But you look at the game and you think, here, Harrison's had three goals. You've got to shoot to score. Is that what we need, boys? Is it? I mean, I'm not going to get into go through every single touch in this game. So is it a case that Ellis Harrison has just got that prove it something? And that's why people want to see him start in the next game. It's a mentality thing, I think, because, um, yeah, like me and Andy said for the Wigan game, the, play, the players seem to help out, hold back facing against a, a defensive side that dropped deep into the penalty area and didn't know what to do. Harrison looked like he had the bit between his teeth this game from what I'd seen. Not afraid to have a shot. Yes, Kipsha saved it, but doesn't really matter. His second goal, the header, he attacked the ball over the over the centre half. He really wanted it. And third goal, poacher, poacher's finish, just being on the right place, latching onto the last centre half. And I think Danny Cowley highlighted Harrison's performance in the news. Neil Allen wrote this. Where he, where he said this was the first game where he thought Harrison was at full tilt and essentially he, he, that he'd been working more with Nicky Cowley on his days off to try and improve his fitness, to try, to try and work out a few things. And the, the direct quote I'm looking at, slightly paraphrased, Danny Cowley said it looked like the, the Ellis Harrison we all know he's capable of being. 
And if you consider that, and the fact that he scored a hat trick, he he has to be at least in the conversation to start the next league game, surely. I thought one of the interesting things, I think it was the second goal, was, uh, the header where he sort of got a run on the, the Wigan defenders and headed in from close range off the keeper, was sort of the order of events. like In terms of what we saw from set pieces a lot last season, I've spoken about before, is how Harrison, when he was fit, was used almost as a, a target man on the far post in, in terms of free kicks and corners, where his job was to head it back across goal and try and cause some sort of melee. And it, it was quite effective at times. And we scored a number of goals. We got a lot of success using that system last last year uh, under Kenny Jacket. But it looked, well, this second goal, for example, I think it was Ogilvy at the far post, doing pretty much what Harrison has previously done in other games, which freed up Harrison to make an absolute run at the at the defence sort of centrally to goal about, you know, and getting his head on the board about six yards out. And we know with Ellis Harrison, even those people who don't rate him and those people who think it, it would have been better if he'd gone on deadline day, etc., even the most ardent believer in that would have to admit that on his day, well, even not on his day, he wins the vast majority of things in the air. He's just an absolute tank when, uh, when the ball's up and he's got a run on someone. No one really beats him in the air. So... I thought that was an interesting observation for the second goal where he kind of changed roles from last year and it was extremely successful. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good observation. And I think the point is that Harrison scores one goal from outside the box, one goal on a header from a corner, and another goal where he sort of scores with his feet as a poacher and it comes back off the keeper. So I think that's an all-rounded display as a striker, a striker who scored three different goals. And I think, like you guys, who we voted on a poll of, should Ellis Harrison start for Pompey on Saturday at MK Dons? We put it out there. Uh, 657 of you voted in this poll. No, 957 of you voted in this poll. Say, Let's if, not it, ourselves down. if it's 657, that's perfect. That's probably why it came out, isn't it? <laughs> Six fives. Anyway... of you said, yes, Ellis Harrison should start at the weekend. And 32% of you said, no, he shouldn't start. Freddie, with John John Marcus struggling at this moment in time to even get a shot on goal against Wigan, is this the time to introduce Ellis Harrison and just see what you can do? I've been a distractor of Ellis Harrison for for a while. And I do think I wouldn't have been up in arms if Ellis Harrison left at the end of the summer transfer window to to free up um, a move for a different striker. But when you consider his hat-trick performance on Tuesday, you consider the fact he's doing extra training off his own back, which was reported in the news, like I just said earlier, and the fact that, the, that Danny Cowley is liking the motivation he has. Because think of it this way, he, he didn't want the transfer because he wanted to stay and make it work at Pompey. So not only does he have the mentality, he's also proven, proven in, that, in that game, yes, it was a cup game, but you can't ignore somebody who scores a hat-trick. You can't. If Danny Kelly doesn't play him and start him in the next game, when is he going to? If he doesn't, you're basically saying to him that, well, you're not going to get a chance unless Marcus gets injured, which I don't think is the right um, message to give, especially since he's been doing all this hard work. And considering that Marcus hasn't played that well in the last few games, I think you have to start Harrison, to be honest. I don't think MK Dons are particularly big as well. I mean, I know they've got one of the centre-backs is, is a bit taller, but I think in the centre, there are three centre midfielders we come on to talk to Liam about from the MK1 podcast. They're all pretty small, you know, in a sense of, you know, winning balls in the air and stuff. So that will free up a couple of people in the box when balls do come in, etc. You're not going to have people 
coming back and helping out as much in that sense. So maybe it could work, maybe it can. But yeah, if someone scores a strike, uh, someone scores a hat trick in a game, I think you've got to give them a chance when your other strikers aren't scoring. Yeah, I think the observation about the MK Don's height is quite interesting there. Even if this is going to sound really perverse, bearing in mind he just scored a hat trick in a game, but even if it's a case of him therefore coming slightly short and exploiting the lack of height in midfield and having high balls played up to him with potentially, let's say, we revert to 4-2-3-1 if that's what's decided. It's nice not knowing the formation, but if they went with that, Harrison comes slightly short short to a high ball, exploits the fact that he is going to win pretty much everything in mid, in uh, in the air against that MK Dons midfield, potentially drags one centre-back out of the game with him. And then you've got the three attacking players who are just behind Alice, uh, Ellis Harrison attacking that second ball with potentially a three-on-three created, so or even a three-on-two created if MK Dons are playing three at the back. So I think tactically there is potentially a rationale for that. Um, bearing in mind what you've just said there, Hugh. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Right, let's move on to, unless you guys got anything else to say about the game in particular, anything you want to highlight? Hadji Maloga, maybe, Fred? Do you want to talk about his performance at the back there? He struggled a bit for me, unfortunately. Um, there were a lot, uh, there, there was a bit more vehement criticism of him than I think there should be. If you think about all of Hadji's games, he's basically played in, he's played in multiple positions for Pompey whenever he's played either at right back or right centre half or, or or even in midfield in one of the games, I think. He just, um, I, I do really do think this lone move to Bromley, even though some people are thinking, oh, it's a drop down to the conference. I think just him playing every week at the same position will improve him drastically, I think, with just his positional sense. And when he gets, when he gets minutes under him, he, he'll have that experience to maybe, if Danny Cowley sees him in a different position, he, he'll he'll just have a, more of a sense of where to be at the right time because his positioning was one of the key one of the key negatives in that game. So yeah, it, it, even though it was slightly disappointing, hey, he's a, he, he's a kid trying to improve on his performances. It's a long game with him, not short, not a short term thing. I think I'd jump in quickly here and just say that it was nice to see Louis Thompson get some minutes as well. Looked um, pretty creative at times in the game. Definitely didn't look match fit. Uh, he was absolutely knackered when he came off, but. Showed a bit about him, which was good to see. Thought Jacobs had decent moments. The final, sort of the final ball from Jacobs wasn't quite there. Whether that's because the ball was slightly off target or because the runners he was trying to hit were slightly on their heels, wasn't entirely clear. But the end product didn't quite link up. And it was quite interesting to see Rico Hackett Fairchild doing more defensive work as well. Um, Playing a sort of a wing back at times throughout the game. He made a couple of quite nice sort of defensive interceptions or one one potentially goal-saving tackle when one of the Wimbledon players briefly got the wrong side of him uh, into almost a one-on-one situation and sort of Rico managed to track back and get a foot in and win the ball back. So, yeah, there's definitely some positives there and it's not a competition we're overly fast with. I think it's a, it's a bit, it was a bit harsh on Eastwood. He actually had a pretty decent game and somehow conceded five. I'm not entirely sure how that happened. He, had, he was <laughs> solid enough to me, but um, looking at the XG, he was unlucky to be honest. He he made some really good saves as well, Fred, and looked generally solid on the ball. So probably not going to remember his Pompey experience overly fondly, but um, yeah, remember him best as a blue, right, in his career. <laughs> yeah, mm. exactly. But yeah, it was one of those games where you take the positives out of it, you try and ignore the negatives because there were, you know, there's. The sort of concessions that you can make for a lot of the negatives. 
I felt a bit sorry for Hurst, you know, just never rains, but it paused. The Wimbledon keeper was abysmal for most of the game. Um, it sort of gave me hope that any of the three of us could still potentially make it in League One football, but pulled out an absolute worldie of a save with a, a save from, from Hurst, who obviously will be looking to get his first Pompey goal. So it will come, hopefully. Um, yeah, plenty of positives, Hugh. And I think it's two more games and we can forget that that cup exists for another year until we get to Wembley, in which case it's the most important thing ever. Yeah, well, I'm going to remember most of the Pompey player. Maybe he comes back. He'll be one of those players in the future that comes back. We're like, oh, he's been at Pompey before. He knows the club. He knows the fan base. All that kind of malarkey. But, you know, like a sort of a cameo version of Freeman who came in for however many games it was. He played seven or whatever it was. So... All right, let's get into what other people said because that's what we care about the most. And you guys messaged in and thank you again to everyone who messaged in. It's really appreciated and makes the show. And we said, did any of the starting 11 impress you enough to come into the league team on Saturday? Joff messages in. Cheers, mate. He says, Romeo, Harrison and Thompson look good. The 3-4-1-2 deployed last night could work to accommodate Harrison and Marquis together whilst keeping the solidity in the middle. Romeo would also work in the right back role, right wing back role, sorry. What are we feeling about that? Are we are we feeling, boys, a change towards this three four one two formation with the two wing backs? I'm guessing Lee Brown would have to play on the other side. Is that something that we feel that Pompey would be best employing at the weekend against MK Dons? Oh, it's really hard to judge it off that Wimbledon game when we played three at the back for a large large proportion of the game because the personnel are going to be different. I thought we looked a bit narrow. I think one of the goals we got caught out, we looked really, really narrow. Maybe maybe the third goal, can't remember off the top of my head, where it was a ball played down the Pompey left-hand side of the defence and the Wimbledon player sort of managed to get a run around the outside of Ogilvy and square the ball in from the right, from the Wimbledon right. And it looked really, really, really narrow. Potentially that wouldn't have happened if Rika Hackett-Fairchild had been able to track back at that point and cover the, cover the run. So it's kind of difficult to say. I don't love it if I'm honest, but I am not as good a coach as Danny Cowley. So he's seeing the players, you know, day in, day out. As a formation, I'm not as as much of a fan of it as I would be playing four at the back. I think that utilises the Pompey strengths quite well. Having said that, if we're looking for quick playing out from the back, having those three centre-backs does give a sort of a nice narrow amount of outs for, um, for Gavin Bazunu to hit when he's got the ball at his feet to potentially start an attack down the centre and utilise ton of Cliff and Williams, which we've done so well so far this season. Ramble ending. I don't love three at the back. That's the long sh- uh, long version short. Freddie, you were shaking your head then, mate, when I asked that question. So I'm guessing you're also not a fan of three at the back. Spoiler. I think, fr- I think three at the back is where Danny Cowley wants the side to be, but it's not where they are at the moment. Because on paper, you think about it, right, right, a championship. Uh, you got Marlon, Marlon Romeo, who's a champion, who's a championship quality right back in my opinion, and could also play wing back, uh, right wing back. And at wing back, you get the best out of him. And also, Con- uh, Connor Ogilvy's proving to be more suited to a left-sided centre half role rather than a traditional left back. But in my opinion, they just weren't cohesive or structured at all in the Wimbledon game. And I think the defensive frailties there basically confirmed to me that I don't want them, want Pompey experimenting with three at the back, especially with an important game like MK away. I think it's too much of an important game. By all means, keep it keep it as a backup option. Try it in a few of the cup games as they, as they carry on and see where they go from there. But I think 
Pompey, Pompey slowly have slowly improved their quality of performance, I think, from playing the 4-2-3-1. And I think they should stick with that. And also, if you go for a 4, let's say it's a 3-4-3, three, three, to try and accommodate Marquis and Harrison, I think we've seen that combination before and it hasn't worked purely because they they just never seem to be looking out for each other. It's very, in, they play very, they play with an individualistic mindset where both of them want to be in their positions, but are not looking out for where their teammate is a lot of the time. So considering those two things, I'd rather than just play 4-2-3-1 to start with, I think, even though in the long term, I think a three at the back formation would suit Danny Cowley's ideal philosophy a bit better. Andy Thompson messages in. He says, only person I think would not be harsh to come in would be Harrison. It would be harsh not to come in would be Harrison. Given our league performance off the back of three goals, notable mention would be Jacobs or Rico for me, maybe. What I like about the Cowleys have done is we we all have different opinions in positions. I think that's what Freddie was saying then. There are lots of different options and Danny Cowley has been trying to build different things and it is only the start of the season. So time will tell how this squad moulds comes together you know, how they play best. And I think that's what we always see at the start of the season, especially with a new team. I think well, do we have 14 incomings as a boys um, in the summer. 15? I think 14. As far as I, I think it's 14. We'll stay with 14. Yeah, so it's going to change, isn't it? Um, didn't mention Jacobs in the match review. Andy, you watched the game. Did he almost play as a centre midfielder? And is that somewhere that you could see him playing in the future? Yeah, it was definitely noticeable in the second half or start of the second half and potentially some of the first half as well. I don't know if he started there, that he was playing sort of on the left of the centre midfield alongside sort of with Louis Thompson on his right. Um, it's Again, a position I quite like him in because generally, although I said earlier, it didn't quite come together in this game. He's one of those players that has got the ability to do that incisive ball from centre and midfield. Um, we saw it a bit last season before he got injured towards the end of the campaign. Having said that, I can't necessarily see him coming in first choice in centre midfield ahead of, you know, either Williams, Tundercliffe or Morel in the near future. I'd I'd be surprised if we see him doing a role there or f- fulfilling a role there in league games. I I think potentially he's going to be more utilised either on the left or as a ten. But yeah, he was he was playing in centre midfield for a large proportion of the game, potentially all of the game. I can't remember from the first ten minutes, but um, yeah, it didn't quite click for him but I really rate him as a player so if we can fit him into the 11 I quite like that because I do think he's one of those players that we talk about who's got that X factor where they can just do a little moment of quality and open a game up even if they've been kind of off the boil for the other you know 89 minutes of the game if you win when if you win one nil from a moment of quality from one player then you can kind of forget the other 89 minutes and I think that potentially is what we could look at occasionally with him Andy Thompson carries on. He says, for example, in the midfield, ball winners, Thompson, Williams as options, Tunnicliffe to drive, Morel for control, right back Romeo looked good to get forward a bit more than Freeman. Other side, Brown provides the overlap. Ogilavi doesn't, so we can adapt changes versus who we play against. And I think not having a set formation where like Jacket had, this is the only plan A we have. This is the only ideology. For us, do you think it's going to be a case of us changing it up against different teams you play in different systems for that? Yeah, I definitely think so. It, you mentioned Freeman there; it'd be really harsh for him if um, if Romeo comes in and you know starts at right back in the next game. Because for me, Freeman he's been really excellent, um, particularly 
um, what, what game was it? First 55, first 60 minutes against, I want to say Shrewsbury. I think it was the Shrewsbury game. He was, for me, best player on the pitch. And I don't think he's really had a poor game for Pompey yet. So it would be quite harsh to to drop him for the league. It would be kind of like dropping Brown at left back for Ogilvy when he's not really done anything to deserve being dropped yet. But as a result of that, I do think it might be a case of we don't necessarily know the formation. We don't necessarily know who's going to play where because there are options. It's going to make Fan Hub extremely difficult for Pompey fans this season. But at the same time, I'm willing to take that hit and drop down the Fan Hub rankings if it means that you know we're picking up more points with a bit more of a diverse formation or a bit more of a diverse lineup. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And it is, it is going to be tricky, but that's why Danny Cowley is a good manager. I know. I don't know what Freddie's doing. He seems to be sort of adjusting the angle of his television behind him. I think he's tripping something. Yeah, that's fair enough. Standard. Standard. Yeah, standard PO forecast recording. Exactly. Alfredo 20 messages in. He says, the new boys, Romeo and Thompson, were class. A lot of people saying start Harrison, but at the end of the day, it was a reserves match. Gutted to see Pompey legend Jake Eastwood leaving, though. Such a great service to the club. Well, Alfredo, don't you worry. We've already given him that little uh, Raptor... You know, no, a little applause. Let's just pause for a second, boys, to uh, appreciate his performance. Are we taking a minute silence or a minute's applause? Which do you fancy? I'm, I could go with either. Then I watched Fred's quite on mute, which is. I don't know if you heard this, but I've just had a load of thunder go off in the background. As soon as I said, let's pause, it was like, <laughs> in the background, I was like, maybe I should give him a little bit of respect in case that's some sort of divine intervention. But all right, let's move on. Uh, Dad's a messaging. He says, for me, Romeo and Thompson and Harrison all did enough uh, to start on Saturday and I wouldn't turn my nose up at it. Think we need a midfield three on Saturday, just like we did against Wigan. Freddie, me and Andy were discussing, would it be harsh to drop Freeman for Romeo? Um, in this game against MK Dons? It's good. It would be a rough one, wouldn't it, I think? Because um, Freeman hasn't done that much wrong t- uh, for him to be dropped. And overall, he, 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 he's very versatile in the sense that he's defensively sound and can uh, and attacks the right-hand side really well. He can offer, he can offer an overlap quite well. <sighs> the problem is uh, Romeo's such a good player. He's such a good player where he's hard to ignore. I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind either, really. Uh, even though that sounds like I'm sitting on the fence. If if Cowley wants to start Freeman for the continuity, then fine. But if he thinks Romeo can just come in and play even better, then I don't mind either. It makes me so happy when you agree with me. Yeah, he couldn't hear. You. That's why he walked off. So he didn't have his headphones on. Yeah, he, so he walked, he walked off without his headphones. He came back and then completely agreed with what I said. And. That gets me a little bit emotional, Fred. It's like a blind test, isn't it, Fred? It's like a blind test, you know, and you sort of taste different foods and don't know where it's from. That's what it was. (laughs) Or a beer session. Let's try and be a bit cooler about it. Great minds think alike, obviously. Yeah, all right, let's move on. Yeah, or idiots idiots end up with the same conclusions, Fred, either or. (laughs) It depends who you ask. (laughs) Forgotten Pompey Goldsmith is in. He says, quite like the idea of a back three with Romeo at the right fullback. But then again, I want to see a midfield three. So who knows? Nice to have plenty of options and a good pool of quality players. Still not sold on Harrison. Um, was a fortunate hat trick. Keep up the good work, lads. Um, come on, a fortunate hat trick. That's oh. very harsh, to be honest. I mean, actually, he said he said he said it was a fortune hat trick, but I actually just I mean, translated that to fortunate. Pretty much the same thing. I think that's very harsh. And, uh, I think the keeper uh, uh, should uh, do better with at least two of them, but at the same time. It's a hat trick. You, you know, if you watch a cricket match, sorry, Hugh, if you watch a cricket match and Bowler gets a hat trick where, you know, the bat, the three batsmen all middle it out and get caught on the boundary, it's still a hat trick. You still give the bowler credit. 
for you know bowling to his field or whatever I don't think you can just say it was a fortunate hat trick because it suits the narrative honestly. and also you have to start your uh, the top goal scoring on all competitions don't you yeah that's why Lee Brown was definitely starting at left back before isn't it <laughs> oh god the Pompey Lumberjack messages in he said saw a lot of fringe players that probably belong on the fringe certainly not contenders for a start- starting spot yet with the exception of Harrison I think he's harshly labelled a hat-trick when our other strikers can't buy a goal, so surely bring him into the mix soon. I don't think he was unharsh. I don't think he was harshly judged. I think he was judged fairly on the performances he had last season and before. He, he's not been an impactful striker scoring goals. I think that's a f- fine thing to say. We don't have to be suddenly back on, oh yeah, Harrison's great now. What are we missing out on? But I do think that when a striker is scoring goals and none of the other strikers seem to be scoring, you've got to start him. Simple as that. That's I think it, really? I, I, I don't feel like he was utilised in a way that's given him the opportunity to score previously, to be honest with you. He's been used as a target man in 4-2-3-1 and had long balls lumped up to him, which, as I mentioned earlier, can benefit the team as a whole, depending on the side you're playing against. And I'm not saying he's, you know, going to be top scoring in League One or the Championship or League Two or, or any league for that matter. But I don't think he's been played as... You know, as a player, you're relying on to score 25 in a season. I, I don't think that's the responsibility he's been given in the past, personally. And I disagree slightly. I think he has been given a bit of a harsh rap of it. Yeah, because he, he he basically fulfilled the Ollie Hawkins role in that four-two-three-one. Um, oh, Ollie! After after Ollie Hawkins left, and it, it, you knew that it was that it wasn't the point of Ollie Hawkins was to score goals. It was to bring everybody else in. And he definitely managed to do that and play centre back. We, we ignore that. Um, but still, I don't think Harrison has played, even though he's he played in that right, he hasn't played well enough to justify either starting. And and also, it, it, it didn't seem like he was any, it, he didn't have a look in beforehand because it, 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 considering that Hadme and Hurst were ahead of him, both players who have nowhere near as experienced as Harrison is, that's a blight on a player like that, I think. But... <laughs> You can't, uh, uh, like I said earlier, you just simply cannot ignore <laughs> when a striker scores a hat trick because how how else is he going to get in the team bar injury if he doesn't get a, an opportunity to prove himself after a performance like that? Yeah, exactly. Do you guys think Harrison and Hadme could work together well rather than Harrison and Marquis? Ooh, uh, well, when I, when Hadme's played, I, pre- I preferred him when he was the la- when he was the last. Um, Last attacker on the opposing centre half. I didn't like him when he was playing a bit deeper. And Cowley's mentioned that in interviews. He, he, he likes him in and around the box, but uh, but his positional sense isn't there yet. And it, it, and for a young player like that, it probably it probably won't be. Seems similar to the Harrison and Marquis partnership. I don't know because you haven't seen it yet. It could be an idea if you think because I don't think Hurst and Harrison will work together. They're two similar players. So if you if you are going to have a, a striking partnership, then it's Hurst or Marquis or Harrison or Hadney, surely. Yeah, I don't think the the Harrison and Hurst combination looked particularly potent, particularly early on. It looked quite quite blunted, I thought, and one-dimensional, personally. So I, I'd agree with Fred on that. Yeah, I mean I've not been overly impressed with Hurst's performances so far in the season. And I'm, you know, obviously there's a lot of time to go. He's just calm and I'm not going to try and give him a stick straight away at all, but I, I haven't been too overly impressed with him and I can't see him fitting in well 
with Harrison up front. I just think it's two sort of similar style players who bring that same sort of thing to the pitch generally. So Andy's doing a little a little wobble there. Not sure he agrees with mine. Uh, no, I'm, on him. I've got Wales Estonia on and it's just pinball in the Estonia box and it's not a goal. Um, no, I. I'm I not even bringing too... up with. I'm not even bringing up the England game, Andy. How could you? How could you mention the Wales? Well, game literally, now? have no interest in that whatsoever. I don't think that George Hurst has had enough minutes yet to be judged. I think he's had his moments where he's looked oh, just slightly low on confidence, but with ability. And I've already mentioned that on another day that header would have gone in against Wimbledon. It was a really, really good save from the keeper, and it just hasn't quite happened. And he's had nice little moments, nice little touches, but. Yeah, it's like that final, oh, I can't think of a polite analogy for it, but it's like the final 1% hasn't quite clicked. He hasn't sealed the deal. It's frustrating. But um, I wouldn't write him off just yet by any stretch of the imagination. But I don't, as I said, I don't think that combination with Harrison is where he's going to flourish based on what I've seen. That's just my personal opinion. Feel free to disagree. I don't think anyone disagrees with that at all. And I'm definitely not throwing the book at him, mate. I just think it's he's not quite grabbed me with his performance. But yeah, let's hope, let's hope that comes. All right, guys. We're welcoming back Liam from the MK1 podcast, the show. Liam's a great guy, runs the podcast over MK Dons, does great things, knows a lot about analytics. Him and Freddie try and chuck some XGs at each other during the interview. But let's get into it. Our chat with Liam from the MK1 Milton Keynes Dons podcast. All right, I'm here with Liam from the MK1 podcast. And Liam, thanks for returning to the show. Yeah, no worries, Hugh. Always a pleasure. No, it's always great to have you on, mate. And uh, congratulations last year on your fan of the year for the podcast. I think that's quite impressive. And Pompey are never going to last have that. So uh, well done, mate. Yeah, thank you very much. Not heard about the award yet from the club, but I'm sure it will come soon enough. Yeah, where is that prize is what we're all asking. And if you get some traction, we'll get behind it. Right after this, right? It's a little while now. That's it. Hashtag justice for MK1. Um, all right, let's let's get into the actual stuff. So you've had a quite a topsy-turvy, well-documented sort of off-season, I suppose. Tip to potentially win the league by Gabe Sutton, I know. Um, it was all looking very rosy. And then Russell Martin does one and goes to Swansea. So just talk about the transition to new manager or Ipswich legend Liam Manning and uh, how that's been. Uh, on the whole, pretty smooth sailing. Um He's managed to be as far as six games now. And the only game we've actually lost was the game where he didn't take a training session against Sunderland, which you've seen Sunderland, they're a pretty good team this season. So nothing to be ashamed about there in terms of losing to them. Um, but yeah, overall, it's been, it's been, we've felt like we should have more points. Um, of course, we're on nine now from the six games and probably should be looking at maybe 12 right now. Um, so yeah, that, that just shows you how well the team's played. And Cheltenham on Saturday, the prime example, drew 1-1, but we should have won 3-1. Charlie Brown had two golden opportunities and well, definitely one at the very least anyway. And he fluffed them, unfortunately, which is a shame. Um, but yeah, team's playing really well. It's pretty much a very similar style to how Russell Martin laid out the Dons, but it's a bit more as Manning will put it purposeful. So it's less passing around the back. It's a bit more direct in some senses, but it's still very much, you know, keeping control of the game, keeping control of the ball, uh, but trying to find ways to cut through the opposition which has worked sometimes and other times it's taken a little longer to do so so the blow of losing Martin hasn't been as um, big as you thought it would have been um, no uh, but I think at the time we were we were worried about who was going to come in uh, we saw the names linked and we were, we were really worried it was going to be like a John Terry type of manager and that's the last thing we needed 
this this squad's very much a win now squad. It's definitely one of the best in the league. I don't think I'm being biased when I say that. Um, so it needed a manager who was going to come in and pretty much take over what's already been done by Russell Martin and his coaching staff. And I think Manning has done that really well so far. Um, unfortunately, the results, I don't think justified themselves just yet. Um, but the fact that we're staying in the games with the big teams in the league shows that, you know, it's working so far. And I think it's only a matter of time before the wins start to come and free, free flow. Liam, in terms of the, the squad there, you've mentioned you think it's one of the strongest in League One. Since Pompey fans last saw MK Dons, what's the transfer activity been like? What players have we seen leave the Dons? Have any big names come in that Pompey fans would recognise? What's happened uh, Yeah, in terms of the squad depth? Yeah, so the biggest departure is Scott Fraser, um, left to join Ipswich Town, unfortunately. And of course, we've seen him play once this season against us. And uh, luckily, he got an assist, but he was kept fairly quiet on the whole, which is a good thing. And um, yeah, his biggest departure, uh, Lee Nichols also left the, we say backup goalkeeper, he was much more than a backup goalkeeper. He was brilliant shot stopper and he's gone to Huddersfield and I think proved that since. In terms of incomings, uh, Mo Iser was the big one. I believe club record fee spent on him from... Peterborough had a really good start to the season I think luckily for you gents he's going to be injured for this one uh, Peterborough groin injury against Accrington and I'd be very surprised if he features against you boys so it's likely it's going to be another new addition Troy Power up top probably alongside Charlie Brown Troy's been excellent since he came in he's with the Irish squad recently alongside some of your players and um, yeah he's been everything we needed in terms of probably a that sort of hard-working striker who can also create and score goals, a bit like we had with uh, Carlton Morris before he left for Barnsley. Outside of that, Peter Chioso is the new addition, played really well on Saturday, coming in from Luton Town on loan. Of course, he's returning to the Dons. He was Dons youth prospect before he left the club. Yeah, had a really good defensive display against Cheltenham, cleared a goal off the line. Yet to see what he can do attacking-wise from that right-wing-back position, but all signs are good so far in terms of what he can offer to the squad. I was having a look at your centre midfield, which is something that, you know, you touched on Scott Fraser going out. Obviously, you know, PO Forecast, fan favourite over here. We wanted him off you and he's gone to Ipswich, which is a kick in the teeth. But yeah, there we go. You've got Scott Twine, you know, 22 years old in the, in the sort of cam role. He sort of slots in where Scott Fraser sort of left off, 22 years old. He scored, he scored two goals already, one assist in six games, and he's been involved in 27% so far of all your goal participations. And like, obviously, it's just the start of the season. So a little asterisk there. How has Scott filled in there? Scott for Scott, straight up. Do you think he can fill the boots of Fraser this season? Yeah, it's interesting because we've said this, um, I think, a zillion times, but when you look at the stats from Twine and Fraser last season, they're actually very similar players. I think the difference with Twine to Fraser is Twine's a lot more explosive. Of course, from set-piece situations, dead balls, he's terrific. He's Both his goals this season, as you mentioned, he have come from uh, free kicks uh, away from home rather than at home so he's due one at home so hopefully that's this weekend but no in general he's terrific I think that 10 role really suits him and it suits him more when there's two strikers up top because they can divert the attention of the centre-backs away from him so he has a bit more space to roam and he can draw the fouls in dangerous areas where he knows he can convert and he's been doing the defensive work as well a bit like what Scott Fraser did admittedly not as much as Scott did because he doesn't really need it, to be honest we've got the two City midfielders in O'Reilly and Robson who do that for him really on the most part but he's not been afraid to go back and do the defensive work so yeah real team player and he's got the quality to make a difference so yeah he's been a brilliant addition so far and you've got Matt O'Reilly just sitting behind him as you say there who's a little bit more box to box as you say uh, only 20 years old played played six games last season but 
he's someone who can also dribble the ball forward as well. He's not just going to sit, is he, behind Twine and, and mop up completely? Rather, than I, th- I think maybe Robertson does that role more. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah. Ethan Robson is very much steady Eddie of the team. Um, him and McKechnie are fairly similar. Um, that's probably why they don't really play too much in the team together, apart from Saturday when it was a bit of a, a formation change. Yeah, but Matt O'Reilly, I think, is more akin to say that he's taken over the Scott Fraser role in terms of box to box midfielder. Uh, and of course, he's getting the goals with that as well. Got he's scored quite a few this season and making up for some of the chances that he probably should have scored last season, to be honest. Uh, but yeah, Scott, um, sorry, not Scott Fraser. And Matt O'Reilly's in a revelation this season. And uh, I think that's why the likes of um, championship teams were coming in for him on deadline day because they've seen the quality already this year. And I think if he's here this time next season, it'll be a bit of a miracle, to be honest, or we've gone up. So one of the two, uh, I'm sure will happen. You've played some of the sort of the bigger teams in the league, Liam. In terms of like your start to the season, it's been a little bit different to Pompey's, where we've played a number of teams you'd expect to be somewhere near the bottom of the table at the end of the season. You've already played Sunderland, Charlton, uh, Ipswich, and Accrington Stanley, all in the league, who are you know supposed to be up there. Are you now thinking that although it's early on, you are genuine contenders to to be promoted this season and should be seen as that? just as much as those teams you've already played against? Because the results against them have been, well, pretty good other than that 2-1 loss to uh, to Sunderland. Yeah, and I think that's been the case this last season, to be honest with you, Andy. Um, you know, I, I hate to bang on about the data and the stats side of things, but we've been a, we've been a top three and a top six team since end of start this year, sorry. Um, you know, we've picked up the points against the teams and even with a manager leaving and a whole coach staff leaving, we're still picking up those points. So yeah, I do think we're we are a bit of a dark horse, and I think the squad is proving that. And I think it's about time that you know, whilst Pompey is difficult game on Saturday, that they start picking up those points. Um, I think once Mo Mo Ice is back, that'll help a lot. Uh, but having Troy back this weekend could help us out quite a fair bit because he's been a key part in terms of the actual uh, style of football and the pressing and the counter press, particularly how much Pompey press is going to be quite key in this game. That's good to know. That's that gives us a good judgment of how much we should celebrate after we've got the three points. That's useful information. <laughs> Confident there, Andy. I like that. Why not? We're talking about the sort of the tactics there, and you mentioned the pressing. So ports of will press more under Cowley, um, as you know, rather than under Jacket, where we just sort of hopelessly lofted the ball forwards. With MK Don sort of switched to us a bit more of a you know, not just a, a pure passing possession move, and the fact that you will mix it up a bit. Is it going to be a very bit, a bit of a chess match between the two teams? Do you think in the who presses when, and maybe different stages of the game, other teams are on top? Do you see it being quite like that, quite patchy? Oh yeah, I think a very cagey game. Um, and I think it will be the, the team who makes a mistake first, and the team that strikes first will win the game. I don't think there are many goals in it at all. You know, we've spoken about me and Andy on our podcast about how defensively sound you guys are in Pompey and. I feel, well, our attack's the best in the league in terms of goals scored. So we're going to, there's a good chance we'll have, have chances to score goals at the very least, if not score a goal. So, yeah, I think it's going to be our attack versus your attack in so many senses in terms of can you get Marquis to score goals? Can Rowan Kurtz actually be effective? Can Harness get something, you know, way with Magic Wand and do something? Um, but yeah, it's going to be a very, a very tactically sound game, I think, where two managers can go at it and uh, see who can be the best out of them too. Put a little asterisk next to that point Liam made that our conversation about me saying how defensive Pompey were or defensively sound Pompey were was before our second 
uh, sort of second string defense conceded five last night. So, yes, uh, it's a good point. Yes, just yeah, going to get so. that in there before I get absolutely <laughs> ruined by someone. Different centre back partnerships, Andy. You don't need you don't need an asterisk to that. You know, we're going to roll back to the first team. We'll talk about squad depth later, but Liam doesn't need to know about that. That's going to bore the shit out of him. Freddie, you had a question. Fire away, mate. Uh, I love the stats earlier for MK Dons. You said an 11 goal score, which is great. In terms of expected goals, 8.32, which is fifth highest. Do you think even without Mo Isa in the side for Saturday, do you still think that the Dons will be able to outscore Pompey in this game if it, if it comes to it? Yeah, we I think we should have outscored every single team we played this season. Um, say Cheltenham, yes, on Saturday was a prime example. You know, we scored the one goal, but should have been three or four. I think even the Cheltenham fans were happy to admit that after the game, the ones that I spoke to uh, on socials and in person, it, it was just one of those games where nothing was falling for us. And uh, Hiram saved us in the end, which he has been doing pretty well on occasions this season. Um, so maybe that's maybe that's the same thing on Saturday. Who knows? But yeah, I, I'm confident that whilst we are overachieving our XG, you know, we can keep this up throughout the season because a lot of the goals, well, two of the goals, for example, have been Scott's fine free kicks from like 25, 30 yards out. So the XG for them isn't going to be very high at all, to be honest. Um, so you take those two out and it's you know, you're out there pretty much in terms of XG. Um, so yeah, I'm confident we can outscore any team in the league. And um, I'm definitely confident we could outscore Pompey, uh, who seemed to be going for the, you know, uh, well, most of the time defensively sound approach rather than scoring those a goal and trying to outscore their opponents. It's going to come down for me, the battle of the middle. And it, it happens to that a lot, but the battle of centre midfield, you know, we've been through the three, you guys, you might have them there, Twine, O'Reilly, uh, Robson, etc. But, you know, Pompey might play a three-man midfield, we're not sure. So we might have that uh, Turner Cliff, Joe Morrell, Williams in the centre there. And I feel if they can sort of get on the ball and break up that ball through the middle, because Troy Parry's not a big striker, is he? He's not going to try and get the ball in the air, I don't think. I wouldn't expect him to be sort of finishing those sort of chances, much more get the ball down, dribble, balls play through the middle and score that way. So would you say that if we, Pompey can break up that centre of midfield, then it's really going to disrupt your attack without maybe Moise's more physical presence? Yeah, I mean, typically for versus Troy Parrott, it's doing little dinky balls over to him, he can chest it down, get tied into the game, and then the others will follow. Um, but yeah, I think I think if I was to focus on one player, as far as Dan Cowley and Pompey's perspective, probably even Robson, just because he's typically the pivot, whereas O'Reilly is more of a front-facing player who will look to play purposefully in the way in terms of the passes he makes. Whereas Ethan Robson's always trying to find the space, a bit like McKechnie did on Saturday in terms of trying to wiggle out difficult situations when Cheltenham were pressing him. So yeah, that's probably the key player to focus on in terms of that. And yeah, the midfield three, I think, you know, have clearly been one of Pompey's strengths this season. And against our midfield three of Twine, O'Reilly and Robson, that's a quite interesting battle. Um, I think from our aspect of the wing backs to be quite keen, Kyoso and Harvey um, coming off a really good game. It, we need to see their attacking potential, particularly Kyoso. Uh, Dan Harvey had a really good game down the left on on Saturday against Cheltenham, but I think that was purely because Kyoso was providing structure for the whole back line, despite it staying back a little bit and making sure that we can't get counter-attacked by the likes of Alfie May. Um, so yeah, we need to see what happens there and um, if we change it up a bit. Do you think there are any other weak spots for the MK uh, the MK Don side? Do you think that, um, that might come to play? Yeah, I mean, at times Warren O'Hara has been a bit not shaky on the ball, but sometimes decision making has been a bit questionable. Uh, unfortunately, how consistent Warren actually is, he he can sometimes have a few games where he's a bit, you know, sometimes he makes the wrong decision and 
Sometimes it's on other players, sometimes it is just purely on him. Um, 99% of the time, he is very solid and he keeps, a bit like Kyo, so he keeps the back line together. But I suppose a lot of what happened on Saturday, where sometimes he had miscommunication with the back line, was because of he had Kyo on that right side with him. And obviously, he's coming into the team, fresh face. I had a few training sessions with the squad. Um, so hopefully a full week of training, they can sort of sort out their communication issues and uh, not give someone like Ronan Curtis a free run down the wing. Let's hope it doesn't happen. No, let's well, hope it doesn't my perspective. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Got yours and mine mixed up then. All right, let's go, Liam. Let's get let's hear into the meaty bit here. What is your score prediction for the game against Pompey? I've gone 1-0 MK Dons. Um, as I mentioned, I think it's going to be quite a cagey one. Um, it's going to be who breaks first. And of course, I'm going to think that Pompey going to break first just because of how good our attack's been this season. And I'm hoping Charlie Brown gets the goal. I think he deserves it after what's well, difficult performance from on Saturday. Um, so yeah, hopefully it's 1-0 Charlie Brown goal and we can go over the three points. We're going to do our predictions in a little bit, but I will say that I had you third to finish this season um, after Russell Martin left. So I think you're a good team. I think it's going to be a difficult game. But as always, mate, good luck for the rest of the season, apart from against us or potentially us later on. Yeah, same to you, gents. Thanks again. Cheers, Liam. All right, mate. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for coming on the show, Liam. Uh, that was that was a good laugh. Um, MK Dons are a team that I really like. You know, I like the style they play. They're an entertaining team to watch. Lots of young players. And I think last season, they're one of the youngest squads in the league. I don't know about this year. I've not looked at the at that profiling, but it's going to be a really tough game on Saturday, isn't it, Freddie? Yeah, absolutely. Probably one of the, tough, the toughest games because um, against Wigan, I thought they would be that controlling side at home, but they just weren't in that game for me. But MK Dance have been pushing that philosophy of football for, for over a season now. And it seems like Russell Martin even hasn't led to them changing their style or the or philosophy of, but of trying to control games and create chances through quick, fast attacking football. So it's going to be, it's going to be a worry. It, it, it feels like attack versus defense again, doesn't it? Because obviously Venko Don's more like a free for a, fl- a free flowing style of football with strikers who who have already proven to score goals already, even though it's a small sample size, whereas Portsmouth haven't. It's going to be a bit of a clash, I think. It's going to be extremely tough. No Mo Issa, though, which is a good thing for Portsmouth, obviously. He's their That's leading scorer with three. It's a, massive, it's a massive thing for us, you know. So, Andy, are you looking forward to this game? We said, you know, Liam said it's going to be probably a tight game and we, he was going for a one-nil prediction. I'm not going to go into our predictions quite yet, but do you see this game playing out as a, as a low-scoring sort of stalemate affair? As someone who predicted a nil-nil game against Wimbledon, I'm not entirely sure that uh, my opinion here has any relevance whatsoever. But yeah, I would, I'd agree with Liam that I think it's going to be fairly edgy. And um, sorry, Wales nearly scored, got distracted. I do, th- I do agree with Liam that I think it's going to be quite an, an edgy game potentially low scoring but I mean you, you don't know because if one team scores early and the other one has to chase the game then it completely changes the entire pattern of the 90 minutes you know if someone scores within the first five it changes everything it's going to be a tough game for us to keep a clean sheet I think away against MK Dons we've been very reliant on good performances from Bazunu so far and from Raggett and Robertson and to be honest they're going to need to be at their best and I would back them to be at their best, but they're going to need to be at their best if we're going to keep a clean sheet. So I think potentially low scoring with, you know, when we don't do predictions, apparently, 
you said you don't do predictions just yet, but I think, yeah, a, a low-scoring draw would be a very good result for Pompey in this game, to be honest, because, yeah, MK away is going to be one of the tougher tougher games we have this year. And on paper, it's probably, you know, the toughest game we've had so far in League One. So it could give us a good idea of where we should be levelling Pompey's aspirations for the rest of the season. Ooh. No, I think it's going to be a tough game. I really do think it's going to be a tough game. Right, let's get into our score predictions now. Freddie, what are you feeling for the game against MK Dons? Oh, it's going to be rough. Like we mentioned earlier, it's going to be a battle of the midfield, I think. I think that's where the game's going to be won or lost because both managers love control. So they're going to look for that in the midfield. I'm going to go with a nil-nil draw. I'm going to to say that that Pompey's defensive prowess will... We'll, we'll see out. We'll see it out, and without Mo Isa, Milton Keynes won't create the same number of chances. But it's going to be really tight, and I don't think Portsmouth will score. I don't think that's a pretty pathetic way of trying to avoid having to predict having to predict goal scorers, there, Fred. Well, uh, you've seen right through. See, you've seen right through me, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you pussy. Um, all right, let's go, Andy. What's your score prediction? I'm going for a one-all draw. I think it'll be a decent result for Pompey if we can get a one-all draw. But I think, yeah, whoever scores first, it's going to completely open the game. But I do think both sides have got potentially too much going forward to to, yeah, to not score. But I think it's the start of a run of games that's going to tell us where Pompey are at. So sort of the five-ish games after this, we'll have a really good idea of what we should be aiming at this season. So I'm quite excited from that respect. Having said that, I hate the tense games, the close games. We said the other week, you know, heart rate and injury time, didn't we, Fred? Oh my Garmin was like 157 or something in injury time against Shrewsbury a few weeks ago. I I hate it, but at the same time, it's why you love football, isn't it? So yeah, I think a one-all draw that is extremely high in stress and potentially needs a, a good performance from our back line. What about you, Bunce? What are you, are you thinking? Low scoring as well? I've been flip-flopping a little bit, um, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to go a little bit bolder. Milton Keynes have scored in every game that they've played in against Sunderland, Charlton, Ipswich, Accrington, Burton. So I think they're going to get a goal. I think that that's going to be something that will happen. I'm going to go with a 2-1 Pompey win. I'm being a little bit out there confident in this game. I think it could go either way, to be honest. And you guys have already taken up the 1-1 and the 0-0. But I do think that both teams will score in this game, actually. So I'm going to go with a 2-1 Pompey win. Let's let's have a look at the goal scorers to score the game. Oh, it's a bit difficult, isn't it? I'm going to say with the contract settling, and now he knows he's staying here, Ronan Curtis to get the first goal for Portsmouth. And then after that, I'm going to go with a bullet header from Ellis Harrison, who's going to start this game, kick off his league career. Who needs a new striker, boys? Who even needs one? We were wrong throughout the summer. We've got him right here. 25 goals a season, Ellis Harrison. He's going to blow the doors off and fire us to promotion. I swear one of us has predicted Ronan Curtis to score in every single game that we've mentioned. You, you, you forgot to mention it. You've got to say he's going to cut inside from the left and, uh, and open up. <laughs> Sorry, wait a sec. Let's do that again. He's going to cut inside from the left, right? He's going to open it up <laughs> and he's going to bend one in from the right. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think he's got a good chance. If you look at the Wigan game as well, he had four shots and nobody else across the front line had a shot. So I'm going to go with uh, Ronan Curtis and Ellis Harrison to a 2-1 Pompey win. All right, just before we finish up, again, thanks to Matt, uh, who donated five coffees on buymeacoffee.com. That is really helpful. It helps keep the pod up. 
stops me having to ask for change on the street to keep our streaming going. So thanks, Matt. That is really appreciated, buddy. Uh, much appreciated. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm I'm genuinely sorry for spitting on you, Hugh, that time. That was totally out of line when you were begging for the pod. I didn't recognise you, mate. Yeah, that was bang out of order. Just because I was wearing that sort of like awful outfit. Well, you, the road. you didn't have to catch it in your mouth. That was that's on you. <laughs> you should have recognised me. You've been out all night. <laughs> I was just collapsed on the pavement. I don't know why you thought I was homeless. <laughs> mate, it was a Tuesday. What were you doing? <laughs> what don't you do on a Tuesday, mate? Let's be honest. <laughs> Gra- grafting for us every night. <laughs> that's it but no we're not homeless thanks Matt it's really appreciated um, and Andy I think that's a bit harsh towards homeless people but you know each we've all got our own views on this sort of thing you just had to do it you have to do it once a week you've got to stitch me up right stitch you up I'm just, just saying it's you know just just responding to your comments on the podcast as always I just enjoy spitting in your mouth Hugh there's a soundbite <laughs> I thought you were going to do the, the noise then it really uh, out, of, out, of <laughs> out of context out of context PO forecast <laughs> is going to be a new Twitter yeah and out of context PO forecast with the unedited versions of these could be career ending for all three of us I think yeah probably could be alright everyone until next time play out Pompey you have been listening to the PO forecast for Pompey News Now available on SoundCloud Spotify and Apple Podcasts follow PO forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle!